Hey, it's time for Discovery Matters. So it is. it's Connor and Dodie again. What shall we discover today? Well, you know, we've talked before on this podcast about organoids on a chip. So today I want to talk about organoids that come from patients. Oh, this sounds fun. I guess that's what matters on today's episode of Discovery Matters. So my name is Oksana Sirenko. I am originally from Ukraine. I get my PhD in cell biology and I have been focused a number of years on stem cell and stem cell related assays. And I had an opportunity to work both in academia, but also in a pharma companies focused on drug discovery or method development. So the number of past years I've been at Molecular Devices and I'm a leader of assay development group focused on development of advanced assays and methods and application for high content imaging and also automation. Ah, so Oksana is a colleague actually in the same family of life science and technology companies part of Danaher, like us. Mm -hmm. So Let's refresh our audience's memory. Organoids are little 3D biological micro-tissues that contain multiple types of cells. They represent the tissue by their cells and by their morphology and complexity of that morphology and also organization and tissue structure. And they also resemble at least some aspect of tissue functionality. So 3D organoids can be derived from primary cells, and one example is intestinal organoids or lung organoids, or they can be developed from induced pluripotent stem cells or stem cells, including cardiac organoids or neural organoids. This process actually would greatly benefit from uh, uh, development of automation and development of other advanced technology. So what Oksana is talking about is that part of an organ is grown in a lab and then using automation and digital tools, you're able to predict patterns. So then you're able to understand more exactly what a patient is going to need in terms of treatment or in terms of a path to health. You can absorb cell division, you can absorb cell death, you can absorb, let's say, mitochondria moving or changing, you can absorb like a growth of tumors, most fascinating, and you can absorb like contraction of cardiac organoids, or you can absorb spike of neural activity. So this is some sort of information which is um, very difficult or often impossible to absorb using traditional uh, cell culture. And you can look for specific drugs and test a variety of compounds, which could then change or affect patient cells. Exactly. And you can actually measure these changes and get information about the influence of different drugs and any toxic effect that they may have. 
So Oksana mentioned cardiac organoids, and we touched on those in a previous episode with uh, Dr. Christos uh, Michas and Professor Alice White and, and their mini pump. That's right? right, and the history of Cytiva. Exactly. So how is Oksana working on cardiac organoids? So you can get blood samples from a patient and develop uh, induced pluripotent cells from that patient, which carry specific mutants, which uh, leads to, let's say, cardiac arrhythmia. Or you can actually introduce mutation into stem cells and make them to carry this mutation and to have a changed phenotype. For example, some receptor is missing or some kind of ion channel is malfunctioning. You can trigger development of stem cells, which, long story short, trigger the development of cardiac tissue, and they take on a resemblance of cardiac chambers. And they even start to beat in the culture. And that's epic when you see that, isn't it? It's just extraordinary, these beating cells in a dish. And that means that if you test the effect of a disease or drug on those cardiac tissues, you get a much more accurate read as it's mimicking the effect on normal cardiac patterns. Precisely. And this form of testing is super important because, as you know, Connor, just 3% of new drugs make it to the clinic. So 2D cell models or animal models are just not good enough anymore to represent real biology and real tissues. So that makes me ask a question. What's holding us back from using patient-derived organoids as the way, the only way for testing drugs and treating diseases? So biology is very kind of powerful technology. Any power technology, whether it's genetic medicine, whether it's artificial intelligence, it has some dangers that it could be misused or kind of improperly used. But there are regulations in place for using materials to treat diseases. They need to be FDA approved. And also there are also the regulation around uh, induced pluripotent stem cells or stem cell technologies. So I believe that limitation actually sufficient to make sure that uh, it will be appropriately used. But I believe as um, technology evolved, probably new regulation needed to be in place, especially when its um, potential treatment of a real patient would be involved. So as we have breakthroughs in treatment, it's expected that new regulations come about to protect patients. Exactly. Every new innovation needs a new set of rules. Rules and regulations. So what about breakthroughs that are expected here in, in this area in the new future? Right now is a fascinating development, including cancer biology. So one of the recent breakthroughs and actively developing area is to use uh, organoids to better study cancer and different variety of cancer. The methods of 3D biology or organoid biology applied here to actually by two ways. So the first way is to better understand and better uh, mimic different types of cancer. For that, 
either um, tissues um, developed from primary tumor from a patient, especially representing specific rare type of cancer, which develop uh, resistant to standard therapy. So one example is like triple negative uh, breast cancers. Those uh, cells are notoriously resistant to the standard therapy. Using these organoids, derived from tissues from patients with a specific type of cancer, you can target that cancer to see which one is sensitive to a specific therapy. I mean, we're talking personalized medicine at at just an, an incredible level. So maybe you could find new compounds or synthesize new compounds to target a specific cancer in a specific patient. So precise targeting is extremely important. So there is a hundreds of anti-cancer drugs currently available and targeting different aspects of biology, so testing tumor is very in- essential. So the methods in development that would allow using cells from patient to form organoids in vitro and test different drugs and drug combination before actually treating a patient with chemotherapy. So before prescribing the patient chemotherapy, which which now is pretty standard for different applications. So those specific cells developed into organoids could be tested for efficacy of different treatment and best treatment could be prescribed for, uh, for the patients. The industry has been talking about personalized medicine for several years now. Yeah, like and, decades, right? And, yeah, yeah. And so I, was, I just had to ask Oksana whether she felt like we were finally on the precipice of bringing that to the fore? So, no, this is actually happening very, very often. One of our collaborators, they were working on this triple negative tumors, and they developed cell lines from the patients which represent this tumor phenotype. And we were very kind of excited to work with this cell line to form organoids and then run library of known anti-cancer drugs. And we find a few which very efficacious at low concentration. And so that it was like a wow moment because scientists from Tulane University actually working with those compounds to further develop the potential therapies. So I think this is our mission. So we need to create technology which would allow scientists and biologists to make those jumps. I'm Vicky Marsh-Durban. I am Director of Custom Organoid Services at Molecular Devices. I joined Molecular Devices at the end of last year through their acquisition of Celeste Limited. So previously I was CEO of Celeste. I've been working with Celeste for the last four years. So I joined Celeste as lead scientist. So my background is very much technical, scientific. I spent 10 years in academia working on various models of cancer and cell biology. Now, Vicky has seen this area of organoids emerge since being a PhD student. And as she was completing her thesis on intestinal cancer, organoid technology emerged as a much quicker way to observe cancerous cells. So before, she had to use the animal model, which we talked about a couple minutes ago, not as advantageous. 
So traditionally, 2D cell lines are used for, for most drug discovery because, you know, they're easy and they're cheap to use, they're widely available, but they're not great models because actually you've got all the cells very homogeneous. So one cell is next to another cell is next to another cell. They're all exactly the same. They will all behave in the same way. And obviously they're in a very artificial environment because they're all stuck down to plastic and clearly, you know, there's no plastic in the human body. Or you can derive organoids sort of direct from primary patient tissue. And in that instance, you basically take a biopsy of tissue from a patient. It goes straight into culture into 3D. And then the organoid line actually is sort of generated from the stem cells that are present within that tissue sample. It's a lot more complex with a lot more data to use organoids, but in fact, a lot more beneficial to the patient. So how do researchers maintain a form of I don't know, standardization and reproducibilities when these organoids are so specific to an individual patient, for example. Nice question about the scientific method, huh? Super smart, aren't I? That comes as a challenge when you work with more complex models. Obviously, reproducibility gets more difficult because you're adding complexity, which means you've got lots of different angles of reproducibility that you need to consider. Molecular devices have worked on quite hard in the organoid space is that our technology is about the scale up of organoid culture, right? So it's being able to produce large numbers of organoids that are all grown as a single batch. So all grown with the same reagents, all at the same passage number. And then there's kind of frozen down in vials, so they're ready to use. And you can kind of go back to those vials time and time again to run the same assay. And, you know, with the theory being that, you know, the reproducibility is going to be better because you're going back to basically organoids that were all produced together at the same time that you can then just use over and over again. That's definitely been a barrier to using 3D culture models. But using organoids is more fruitful in terms of information than the 2D model. And Oksana talked about other challenges based on this complexity, such as more regulation. What, what about Vicky? Has she encountered greater challenges in this field as well? Definitely one challenge is um, sort of availability of organoid lines and availability of starting material, because obviously you have to get that from a patient, from a primary patient biopsy, and you need to obviously that needs to be sourced ethically and with patient consent. So that can be a bit of a bottleneck. And that takes a lot of skill. So Vicky talked about using highly skilled scientists to coach individuals to understand organoids. And this means they cannot be deployed to do assays or tests or experiments, data analysis, or really understanding what's going on in the system. Again, so talent raises its head as a real issue for the industry. A tough one, Yeah, Still. there's such a breadth of talent, but it's being stretched and we need to access more and more of this great talent pool. Oksana from Molecular Devices described using high-throughput screening and digital tools to help get as much information as possible and make the process a lot more time efficient. So what does Vicky say? It's really looking at platforms that can give you high quality imaging data, as well as being able to analyze that data in sort of an automated or a semi-automated manner. The classic problem with imaging systems is that, you know, if you want high resolution and a lot of data, it can be quite slow. So it's like trying to get that balance right between being able to image quickly enough to, you know, to make your experiments feasible so that you don't have to, you know, spend a whole day just getting images off a single plate. But if you're working at scale, you need things to be quick and you need it to be high throughput. The whole process needs additional automation and the use of things like AI and machine learning to really be able to get that data out and get it quickly and have as little human intervention as possible. Because if humans start to intervene, things can get biased, right? And messy. We're so mm -hmm. messy as a, as a species. So if you really want to get into large, high-throughput screening, you need as much automation in all aspects of the workflow as possible. 
and here we come to like a topic that just will not go away, right? A majority of the industry is now embracing AI, automation, and digital tools. So there's advancements in technology and an increased demand for personalized medicine. They're integrating genomic and proteomic data. All of these workflows are being exposed to so much data, so much advancing on the digital side. And so are you, actually, Connor. You're just exposed to AI more and more. Or, in fact, are, are at this point, you must be 90% AI by now. <laughs> we can't. I can't let you do that, Dave. Okay, back to the topic at hand. Vicky mentioned how this demand for personalized medicine requires using genomic and proteomic data. This is an area that I would say that organizers are still just, just starting in. There's so much genomic and proteomic data out there on 2D cell lines. And, and again, part of it is about just having the, ex the access to those organoid lines that are well characterized so that you know you've got the baseline data. And I think that just kind of needs to be standardized across the whole industry in terms of get an organoid line. It would be good if like organoids came with sort of, you know, like a standard analysis package or a characterization package so that you know that they've had, you know, at least the background kind of baseline proteomic and genomic characterization done on them, the precision medicine and the personalized medicine space. Although I think there's plenty of clinical trials out there where they're trying to take organoids from patients at the same time that they're treating them and trying to use organoids within the you know, the decision the decision making in the patient journey to, you know, really be able to identify the compounds that would work specifically on a patient. But organoids may not only be confined to treating disease and testing drugs. The future of organoids might be to repair damaged tissue. So how is Vicky seeing this research coming together? Organoids are really interesting in the regen med space because they are basically a source of stem cells, which means they're therefore potentially a source for being able to repopulate tissues. And I'm definitely aware of several studies that are more in the academic space at the moment where they're taking decellularized scaffolds and they're recellularizing them with organoids or organoid-derived cells and then looking towards re-implanting them back into humans. I think there's a number of challenges that still need to be worked out in the organoid space to really make that real. That's her future view. But to bring us back to the present, to now, the main objective of organoid research is really to improve patient outcomes. We've spoken to clinicians in the past and they've kind of said, you know, really, we need to be making the treatment decisions within about 30 days. That doesn't give you a lot of time to establish an organoid line, get it growing and then do some drug treatments on it at the same time. Right. So precision medicine is, you know, not necessarily completely personalising it to the patient, but choosing an agent that is sort of precise to what they've got. So, you know, I can imagine that you could take a biopsy from a patient, sequence it or characterise it in some other way to identify, you know, what are the what are the targets, being able to then use a, a drug that's been developed on organoids that have had a similar mutational profile or similar characteristic, and so be able to match, you know, the characteristics of the patient to a drug that is effective against those specific characteristics. So it's not like totally personalised to the patient, but it is tailored to the patient, shall we say. 
What an extraordinary advance. I mean, this is just something that has taken flight in the last, you know, 15 years or so. I remember when the idea of like developing multiple different types of human cells derived from embryonic stem cells in a dish was almost fantasy. And now we're looking at this becoming part of how people develop drugs and therapies. It's I think astounding. At, yeah, at our own Testa Center in Uppsala, I know there are projects ongoing about this and I just I find it fascinating. Mm, Obviously, glorious. we're not done talking about this topic. I'm sure that we will revisit organoids. And maybe we will have tiny, teeny, little, teeny-weeny humanoids with little organoids. That would be do so have, nice. Do we have a teeny little topic to talk about what we learned I have recently? a topic. What did you learn this week? Well, you and I are in Montreal, Canada at the moment. We are indeed. And so in a closet. In a closet. Because sound quality is important and there's a thunderstorm outside. Amen. Amen. We didn't want to uh to ruin the podcast experience and force you to listen to the hail drops on the window. But the point about being in Montreal is we had a long flight over and I read a book. And it's by an author that I, I really enjoy, Isabel Allende. I think she's mm, a beautiful story writer. Yeah. And I started thinking about personalities. I love reading memoir and her latest book is called Violetta. And so it's a woman's story who has lived from the 1920s to the 2020s. So from one pandemic to another. Wow. And I thought, well, I'm curious to learn a little bit more about Isabella Allende. Mm. She does come from a famous family. But I just looked up her biography and I, I love the way she writes about herself. She says... It's very strange to write one's biography because it is just a list of dates, events, and achievements. In reality, the most important things about my life happened in the secret chambers of my heart and have no place in a biography. Extraordinary. I loved it. So she's taking all of that to her grave. And we won't know. <laughs> Unless she writes it and it won't be a biography, but rather a memoir. Wow. I thought it was a beautiful way to express, I can't tell you about myself because there's too much to know. And the extraordinary thing about that is, guess what? AI would know. No. <laughs> it's not just about AI, you know. There's also, favorite topic, fungi. What? What? So this week, I given that we're talking about people talking about each other or right. talking to themselves about each other, it turns out that after the rain, forest-dwelling fungi talk to each other more, right? We know that oh, fungi talk yes, to each other, exactly. right? The They're mycelial networks, really they have talkative. communication signals, they talk through... They make music. Exactly. They do all sorts of marvellous things. Well, it turns out that there is really good data... Uh, from a team of researchers in Japan who studied how forest mushrooms communicate with one another and they are super chatty after the rain. My goodness. Extraordinary. That's they, a good one. I like that one, I Connor. like that. So it rains and, you know, the rain clears up and everybody comes out and gets chatting. It stopped raining. We can probably now get out of the closet. Let's stay here. It's <laughs> nice and cozy. Nice and cozy. Thank you for listening to this episode of Discovery Matters. Our producer is Beth Armit Brewster. And if you have ideas about what we should talk about, get in touch with Beth. Editing, mixing, supervision by Banda Production. Music from Epidemic Sound. I'm Dodie Axelson. 
And I'm Connor McKechnie. Make sure you rate us on Spotify or whichever platform you use. We'll see you when we come back with another episode of Discovery Matters. Bye for now.